You're listening to the Enneacast, a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. This content is made possible by donations from people just like you. So to keep more helpful teaching content coming to your podcast feed, please make a donation today at lovethyneighborhood.org slash donate. All right. What are your three proposals for what mm. you think his type could be, starting with the least likely and go up to the one that you you're okay. That's that's the horse you're putting money on. <laughs> okay. Well, Vincent, I have a lot more questions for you before I would normally type you. This is a show about self discovery, about understanding ourselves, about looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Cast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we're actually going to do something a little different. Uh, Lindsay actually has no idea what it is. I literally have no idea. I don't even know the topic that we're talking about. Oh, this is going to be so good. (laughs) So, Lindsay, today, I actually have a mystery for you. Ooh. So, we are going to solve the mystery of someone's type. Oh. And the reason that it's also going to be a mystery is because we're going to see if you and I actually come to the same conclusion or not. Oh, nice. Okay, so a little context for what we're going to do today. I had the pleasure of being a guest on a podcast called The Substance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Substance is a show that aims to be biblical, thoughtful, human. They engage with the culture without getting into all the culture war stuff. They had me on their show to do two episodes. And in the first episode, I taught just a broad overview of the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. But the second episode, actually one of the hosts had never been typed before. Mm. So uh, the second episode was me trying to help him figure out his type. Had anybody ever told him what they thought his type was? Has he ever taken like a BuzzFeed quiz? Or was he torn between a couple of types? Or was he literally... No idea. Yeah, like literally no idea. And part of it was because, to be candid, he would be on the skeptical side of the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. He was not sure the Enneagram was worth it, valuable, necessary. Yeah. And so his co-host like talked him into it. Oh, nice. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so here's what we did. So the host, his name is Vincent Edwards. And prior to the show, I had Vincent take the WEPS, Mm -hmm. which is one of the more popular Enneagram testing systems. He sent me those results, but he didn't look at the results himself. Oh. So he just took the test, sent me the results. I also had him do the first section of my Mapping Your Enneagram Story workbook, where you map out your life story. So I had those two things to go off of. Scores, Mm -hmm. life story. Okay. Okay. So during the episode, I asked him some questions to kind of see what was resonating with him and what wasn't. And in the end, I proposed a type. You narrowed it all the way down. I narrowed it down to three, but I ultimately said I'm going to bank on one of them. Okay. So I gave him my top three. So I said, I think it's one of these three. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to the episode. We're going to listen to it in uh, different clips from my conversation with Mm -hmm. Vincent. But the thing I want you to be asking yourself the whole time is what type you think he is. Okay. Because I pitched something and I'm curious if you and I in the end are going to agree or not. So before we reveal... 
what I believe his type is. We're going to have you okay. make your statement. Sounds good. So where are we starting? Okay. Let me give you a little bit of context for Vincent and who he is. Vincent lives in the Midwest. He is African-American. Mm. He is a newlywed, recently married. He's in his late 20s. Mm-hmm. He is in ministry, training to go into ministry. Oh, and he recently moved to a new city. Okay. So you can factor any of those things in. So I started the conversation with some of Vincent's memories that he mapped out in the workbook. Okay. So we're going to pick up the episode there. I thought that maybe we could maybe start with a couple of memories um, that you identified. I was thinking maybe one positive memory Mm -hmm. and explain a little bit about what the memory was why it was so significant, and what the dominant emotion and secondary emotion was. Sure. Um, So I know one that I shared um, back in fifth grade. Um, I was actually, so I was going to a charter school, and they had a choir at the time. And um, I was, I had a group of friends, and we were all kind of just messing around playing and uh, in the, in the auditorium. And Uh, I was dared to audition for a solo part in our Christmas program. Um, And so, you know, you're in fifth grade. You have to you have to honor the dare. Um, (laughs) Uh And so uh, I went up and I I sang and I auditioned for it. And I I even remember the teacher's name, uh, Mm -hmm. Mr. Brown. Mm -hmm. He was like floored. He was like wow, like you got the part. And that was the first time I was ever like affirmed that mm-hmm. I could actually sing. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you sing in church all the time and, and your upbringing and all that good stuff. So that was about at the age of 10. Um, and I would say the primary the primary emotion was joy. Mm. And then the secondary uh, was triumph mm. because I was able to, one, overcome the fear of being dared mm-hmm. and then just being affirmed kind of like by everyone mm-hmm. and even in the performance it was such a visceral reaction i think i i was like became popular after mm-hmm. so it was that was a pretty significant moment but more than anything it really stirred the passion for music that i have now yeah so you still do music now then yeah yeah i really feel like that's a gift that the Lord has given, and that's one that I like to uh, contribute to the local body as best as I can, um, whether that's playing an instrument or, or singing. And then obviously in my private life, I love just all kinds of music. That's like the majority of my shout outs on the oh, podcast yeah, as well. Yeah. Okay. So that was his positive memory. Okay. Okay. Anything jump out at you so far? Well, just right off the bat, I would think to myself, I mean, kids are hard to read, but he doesn't strike me as an aggressive personality because he was dared, he had fear, he has a very, you know, a slower way of talking about it. He was a little bit hesitant, but then once somebody praised him, it was like, oh, this is the stuff, you know? So maybe a little three could be in there, but I would pretty quickly rule out eight. Okay. Already. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Here's the negative memory. Uh, What about a a difficult memory um a uh, a negative turn yeah um man so at the age of 13 um i actually so i was uh, had visitation rights with my dad um and so i was visiting him i believe every other weekend 
And it was particularly when I was 13 on Father's Day. Mm-hmm. And some pretty tumultuous things were happening between my, my dad and my grandmother. And I didn't, I just didn't appreciate um, the kind of exchange that happened. And um, it really led to me um, just being like viscerally angry with my dad and uh to the point where um like i we argued after when he was dropping me off back to my mom and i said you know i don't ever want to see you again and uh i was crying so heavily to the point where i i couldn't even catch my breath um and um that was a that was a time i i said to myself i am going to hate my father yeah and i'm going to do that like peaceably like in a sense like i i'm comfortable with the fact that i might leave this earth hating my dad mm-hmm. um and so that was a, that was a pretty significant significantly painful moment because i you know you in a in a single family home you you hear stories about your dad yeah. um and so and they're not always the most encouraging mm-hmm. um and they're not always you know um negative either but they're they're usually not a portrait of the best character mm-hmm. of my dad and so um yeah, but like I there's a reason really have... my parents aren't together for a reason you know right yeah and so for that reason um i prior to that it's not that i didn't believe those stories it was just more that i um you know those things didn't happen to me yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm neutral about my dad, not necessarily loving him or hating him. I'm just kind of neutral. Yeah. Um, but then when that event happened, it was, um, it was definitely a, a turning point where I was like, and I, I, I even said in a prayer once about a week or so after that, I was like, I'm going to hate my dad. And the only way I was praying to God at that time. And I was like, the only way I am going to forgive him is if I become a Christian. Mm. Um, Cause at the time I knew that I, I hadn't um, given my life to Christ. So um, that was a pretty significant moment. Um, and I would say the, um, the primary, primary emotion there was sadness and secondary was um, anguish. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how are your father and you still estranged now or did you all eventually reconnect? Yeah, actually uh November of 2016 um uh-huh. was a, was the breaking point where um I had become a Christian in uh, March of 2016 and um I was in deeply convicted of that riff and that unforgiveness and bitterness that I was holding against my dad. Uh-huh. And so that, that, that month in 2016, I called him and I just, I repented to him and he repented to me. And that was kind of the start of repairing that relationship. And now I can confidently say, I love my dad. Mm, that's wonderful. So yeah, yeah that's it's a good ending to that story. Yeah. And so how, how old were you when you guys reconnected? So 13 is when you all had your, your break. How old were you when you reconnected? Right. So five years ago, it's 23. Okay. So 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a powerful story. Yeah. Powerful memory. I have a lot of questions. So if I was talking to him, I would want to know, you know, how often did you experience that kind of anger or was it such a poignant memory because it was the one time that you really let that anger out or was that a consistent pattern in your story? Because I think we could say, if we just heard that story alone, we could say, well, maybe there is some eight because he mm-hmm. confronted his father. 
But then the anguish and the sadness still make me think not aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so still not really like getting... Like he wielded the eight in that moment. Yeah. But is that his default? Yes. Yeah. And then that kind of makes me think... It just makes me put a question mark next to nine about does he have, you know, that access to eight? But he was real stubborn about it. Like once he did take action, it was like there's no moving me from this spot. Right. You know, or two also has easy access to eight. So, yeah, I need more. Okay, so from there, I ended up asking him just a few pointed questions that might be related to certain types in particular. Okay. So I'm like circling the wagons at this point. I'm mm-hmm. trying to kind of start to narrow some things down. What's the role of um, of anxiety in your life? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> the role of anxiety, it's fleeting in a sense that it comes and goes. Okay. Um, but when it's there, it makes a statement, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's very noticeable when I have anxiety but it's not consistently there and there's not always a stimulus for it. Uh-huh. Sometimes it just appears. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, it's definitely a um, a player <laughs> in my life. It's something that definitely occurs. Do you, do you consider yourself an anxious person? Uh, it really, it, I feel like it's circumstantial. It depends okay. on what it is. Okay. Um, depends on what it is or where I am in life. But there are times where I can be pretty chill, relaxed. And then mm-hmm. other times where there's a lot of, a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, usually that's because something in my life has changed. But again, like I said, there are some times where it's random mm-hmm. and it, it just, it's, I'm anxious and I feel it and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about feelings of guilt or feelings like that you should be doing better. So I'm going to ask you to do something that's hard for theologians sure. to do. Put your theology aside for a second. So I'm not asking. For, oh. I'm not asking for the Sunday school answer. I'm asking for the like you and your wife are having a conversation and it's you're being real. Like how sure. how often do you just you carry a sense of guilt? Mm, that's a that's a challenge. Um, I would say. Um, I guess I could say often. Yeah. There's, uh, I would say it's pretty often, particularly because um, I'm always kind of in this mindset of seeking to repair things mm-hmm. or be prepared for things. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And so if that falls short, then there's a sense of guilt there. Or um, I seek to sometimes avoid guilt because I know it'll, it'll hit. Uh-huh. So I like with work, I seek to be a a very good worker Uh um, because if I don't, I'll fall short and then I'll feel super guilty Uh about it. Um, Or, you know, prior to there was anxiety um, and guilt prior Uh to being married because it's like I want to be a really good husband. Mm. What about fear? Do you find yourself Mm. very often worrying about not the moral implications of something, but like the real world fallout. Like if this happens and this could happen, then this could happen. Like kind of the catastrophic thinking, like you're worried about, you know, your wife said she was going to be home. She's 10 minutes late. You're going, where's my wife? Do I need to go get in the car and yeah. go find her? 
Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> oh yeah. There's there's a lot of that. Um, and I, I tell myself that it's because I'm just concerned. I want to make yeah, sure somebody's yeah. safe and, and you all are. that good stuff. And you but, are. Yeah. Yeah. That. But that. Yeah. That definitely happens. Um, fear. Um. I don't know. There's always this backdoor thought, depending on where you are, what you're doing, Mm -hmm. that whatever metric that you're being held to, whether um, implicitly or explicitly, Uh um, there is potential to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and since that potential is there, there is a fear to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do or saying what I'm supposed to say, being who I'm supposed to be um, in order to make sure that I don't fall short in that regard. So I think, you know, one could point to fear being the motivator mm-hmm. of something like that. And then just this nagging fear. And I, I don't know so much fear as I would say, but a, a pressing mm-hmm concern uh of death yeah not because it's like i i don't it's one of the few things i don't fear is how i will see yeah christ's face yeah um but it's it's the mechanics of it Mm -hmm. it's like in order to get to god i've got to die to do it Mm -hmm. and i've only ever been alive (laughs) so i don't know how to do that (laughs) i've never (laughs) died before yeah right i've never died before i mean you know there's the whole theological thing about that but (laughs) on a physical tangible level it's like i i how do you prepare Mm -hmm. to do something you've literally never done Mm -hmm. and then once it's done it's like it's it it's done until christ comes back you're you're, you're there. Mm-hmm. You're on the ground. Mm-hmm. Do you feel most relaxed when you have a pretty good plan put together? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, my wife could definitely attest to that. Uh-huh. If we can get everything in a row and get it planned out, scheduled, ready to go, then it's like, all right. Now, usually my mind goes to the next plan of the next thing. Uh-huh. And I like to think as many steps ahead as we can uh-huh. just so we can be prepared. I, I've had my moment where I've lived, I would say, in poverty. Uh-huh. And so, um, in that kind of realm, things are, they are predictable in the sense that anything that would happen to a poor person will probably happen. Hmm. Um, but it's unpredictable because you don't know what level or degree those things are going to happen. Hmm. So thank the Lord. There's been, you know, blessings and, and steadiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's often that backdoor fear of like, you know, recessions happen, depressions can happen mm-hmm. and the wealth and the comfort and the benefit that you have mm-hmm. could go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are plenty of people who are incredibly qualified currently who have master's degrees, um, and still, you know, jobless. Yeah. Um, and I don't have a master's degree, so it's yeah, like, yeah, I need to make sure that I have everything set. So just in case the worst thing happens, I'm prepared for it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me ask one other thing. Um, to what extent do you feel like it's on you to have enough resources to be prepared? Like if, if like you need to be very thoughtful about how you spend your money, about making sure you have everything lined up, like uh, how much energy you give away to things. Like how much, how much do you feel that when I'm saying that? Yeah, pretty, pretty, um, and I guess intensely. Yeah. Um, 
again, you know, a person who didn't grow up with a whole bunch of money mm-hmm. um, and a whole bunch of resources. Um, so now that I have that, there's one, this looming kind of backdoor idea that I can often dispel theologically, but it still occurs, mm-hmm. um, is that if God is has given you something, he's opened a door, he's given you a good thing, then you be careful because he has the right and the freedom to take that away. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I have to steward and I have to do well with those things. I feel like if if I am responsible or if I take responsibility on, then I need to be fully responsible for the things that that are mine or that belong to me or that are my responsibility. So mm-hmm. um, long story short, is it? Yeah, I, I feel that pretty heavily in, in most things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so first, I just want to acknowledge, like, listeners can't see this. You're taking <laughs> a massive amount of notes right now. It's not that much. Yeah, just... yeah. But you're you're tracking. Yes. I'm going to guess there are certain words that you keep hearing him say. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so that's that's interesting. I don't have it with me, but I did the same thing. Oh, so yeah. when I was typing him, I was writing down yeah. certain key phrases and things of that sort. Yeah. What's standing out to you so far? Okay, so this section really changed a lot for me. I was keeping open some nine like yeah. that was, I said that in the last clip, you know, that nines, you know, can be very stubborn. They're very good people. You know, they're easygoing, but they do like a little bit of praise if they can get it. Um, but this section, I really ruled out nine. Yeah. And so because nines, their strength is not often making a plan. Yeah, right. And they do have some anxiety and fear because they have that six arrow. Mm-hmm. You know, for a while I was like, no, no, I can keep it on there. It can still be nine. But then he was like, I love to have a plan. I'm thinking about the worst that can happen. You know, it's my duty to be prepared. He has like a vigilance about him instead yes. of a, like uh, an escapism. Yes. Yeah. It's not just because most nines are going to be asleep to most of that. Right. Except for in a few key areas. Yeah. So at first he said his anxiety isn't very, you know, it's not very noticeable or it's very noticeable, but it comes and goes. Yeah. So I was like, well, I think most sixes would say it's ever present. It's all the time. Yeah. But then when you tapped on the fear, mm-hmm. which in my mind, fear and anxiety go hand in hand. Very much. Well, then he couldn't say enough about, yeah. oh, yeah, I fear this and yeah. I fear that. Yeah. And he kept saying back door. Like, there's always this back door. Like, there's yeah. always this. It could go bad. Yep. I'm hearing a lot of that. But who knows? Well, I don't know what's coming next. So Okay. So we've explored the feeling of guilt. And so that's related to the body triad. We explored the feeling of fear, which is related to the head triad. So next, I ended up asking him about his emotions, that heart triad piece, and we'll explore that after the break. Stay with us. Hey, it's Anna, media editor. At the beginning of August, I talked with a few interns from our summer 2021 term who had just wrapped up their three-month-long internship where they lived, worked, and served in our city here in Louisville, Kentucky. My name is Haley Collins. I'm from Elkins, West Virginia. Every other week, our interns get together for a time called Gathered, where they receive teaching from ministry leaders, authors, and nonprofit leaders. Haley shared with me about a particular Gathered where the teaching was about the joy of the gospel. And how the gospel produces like an overflowing joy in us that spills out and makes us want to, to share it with other people, not just in words, but also in action. I think that that is something I've really experienced this summer. If you want to find your internship or social action in Christian community meet, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. That's lovethyneighborhood.org. 
Welcome back to the Cast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. So we're listening to a conversation between myself and Vincent from the Substance Podcast as I help him discover his Enneagram type. So here's where we stand. We've explored things related to the body triad and things related to the head triad. So my next question that I asked him was about emotions and his relationship with them. I think it can come down to the environment that I'm in. Yeah. Um, And I think it's also, at least particularly for me, Mm -hmm. I am trying to make sure that I have the right words. Okay. Um, to express emotion. So sometimes, and my wife can attest to that too, I, I just get silent mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because I, I'm i still trying to figure out what I even feel. Mm-hmm. But when I get there, I will definitely explain it. Um, whereas the only time I think, you know, uh, depending on the level of friendship I have with a friend um, or depending on the familiarity that I have with a person, um, sometimes I will I'll assess the situation and either keep emotions on bay and just try to keep a good face on to get accomplished what needs to be accomplished. Or um, I will kind of be in my own head. So even though I'm there, I'm listening, I'm kind of in my own head trying to analyze how I'm feeling about it and then seek the most peaceable way to say something about it. Yeah. Um, or you, you've got those few friends that you have that was just like, yeah, I feel like crap. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's because of X, Y, Z reason, if I have those reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, Lindsay, what stands out to you there? It was just really short. <laughs> right. That's what stands out to me, is that it's like, okay, I'm definitely aware of my emotions. I think and process my emotions, but I am not probably in the hard triad. Yeah, yeah. There's a sense in which it's like, I want to rule over these emotions yes. with... I'm in control. Or what is right. Because yes. he's like, I'm thinking about what is right related to these emotions. So I'm staying it's like, silent till I yeah. figure it out. And I can just stay in a peaceful way yeah. if I need to. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, okay. As you've been sitting there, I noticed you are taking a ton of notes. Mm-hmm. Among <laughs> those notes, you wrote down one through nine. Mm-hmm. And you've been slowly Xing some of them off. Yes. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So what are your three proposals for what mm. you think his type could be, starting with the least likely and go up to the one that you, you're, okay. that's, that's the horse you're putting money on. <laughs> okay, well, Vincent, I have a lot more questions for you before I would normally type you, but my least is five because I have nothing next to it. I have no keywords, no, like, I mean, fives have fear. They like to have a plan. You know, they can stay silent as well with their emotions, but nothing actually like hit the buzzer for me for five. So that's my least. But I also had no reason to rule it out. Okay. Like, oh, it's not this. Well, I will from this on his WEPS scores. Mm -hmm. So it gives you a score of one. Oh, yeah. You saw his scores. I know. uh, One through 100. Okay. In terms of possibility, his five was very high. Oh. So I will tell you. Five, Five was among there. his top three scores. Okay. Okay, so what's your number, right. your your second one? All right. Second place and first place are basically tied okay. for the one and the six. For the one and the six. So yes. choose one of them. Which one are you going to go with? So What's number two? Number two, hmm, I guess number two, I would say the one. Okay. He definitely wants to be good. He wants to be a good worker. He doesn't want guilt. He'll even do things to avoid guilt 
um, because he knows he will feel it. Mm-hmm. And ones also like to be prepared. They also have fears, often that look like a six, because they need that control. Yeah. Okay, so I guess my number one will be the six, mm-hmm. because I did see a lot of that looking for the committee, the authority, yeah. the experts. There's definitely a lot of fear motivating decisions and thought processes. And he knows his feelings. He has feelings. And I think a lot of sixes are deep feelers. But he's able to put that aside. Which ones do that too? To be appropriate or to make peace if Mm -hmm. that's what the situation requires to feel safe and or good. Yeah. Depending on which one he is. Yeah. Even going back to that story with his father, um, you know, sixes have that counterphobic phobic range that they can kind of go either way. It sounds like maybe he could tend to be more phobic, more um, pleasing. But then this one thing pushed him over the edge and he had that counterphobic, aggressive, eight-like response. Yeah, sixes have that pack animal kind of thing. Like we're all together. Mm -hmm. But then if you do something that violates the tribe, you're out. You are out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, do you want to hear my hypothesis? Okay, here we go. Well, here's what I've done. I've narrowed it down to three possibilities. So let me start with the one that I think is the least likely candidate, but uh, some of your responses kind of are making me second guess myself. So we'll we'll see. Um, The third likely candidate is um, type five, which is the thinker, um, the the investigator. Um, These folks, you know, as I said earlier, kind of cerebral. Um, They're scholars. They really enjoy mm-hmm. reading, reading and learning and studying and analyzing. Um, they like they love that. Like that's almost mm-hmm. life. Life is life is about learning all that there is to learn. Um, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and that could be you. But my gut is you love to learn, but your learning is in service of something else like um, that you love it, but it's not necessarily meeting your deepest need. Like the type five, their desire is to be competent. That's that's their longing in life. I just really want to be good at, at something and uh, sure. and be very skilled at it. Okay, so you and I, we agree. We agree. We agreed on number three that type five is was in the top three. Yes, a big part of his personality. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of five present. Mm-hmm. But not as core type. Yes, which makes me support my six theory even more. Uh huh. Because that could be his wing. Yeah. I didn't even think yep. about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go to my second guess. Okay. Uh, because you and I diverge here. Oh. Here's number two. Mm-hmm. Is um is type six, and okay. type six is the loyalist. Type six is uh these folks are very prepared. They forecast, they think ahead, they plan for those circumstances that are coming. They anticipate worst-case scenarios and plan for them. So when a worst-case scenario happens, they are not surprised. The rest of us are freaking out, and those people are like, Mm -hmm. I got this, I already planned for this, uh, because I knew that it was eventually going to happen anyway. I've been making notes as you talked, and here's some of the language that you use that is type 6 language. I can't tell you the number of times that I heard you use the word skeptical. Skepticism Mm -hmm. is a hallmark feature of the six. They are testers. They're just like, I just, you know, when everybody else is celebrating something, the six naturally punches holes in it 
because they can mm-hmm. see all the weaknesses. You multiple times use the word be prepared, uh, use the word anxiety, um, use the words fear of death, use the words plan. Uh, you said will probably happen and used it in a negative way. Like eventually the negative mm-hmm. thing's going to happen. It's coming. Uh, yeah. You said unexpected. Uh, you said unsure. Like all of that is is type six language. Six is their childhood theme was danger and unpredictability. Unpredictable things happen. Mm-hmm. And so they experienced a childhood or an adolescence where Things could be going one direction, and then suddenly chaos comes home. Uh, it could be a mom or a dad showing up. It could be a mom or dad leaving. It could be a mom or dad doing something. It could be not mom or dad. It could be that life in some other way. Um, mm-hmm. But home didn't feel very safe for a six. The message that they heard was that it's not okay to depend on, um, to trust or depend on yourself. So they tend to be really riddled with self-doubt. And so they tend Mm -hmm. to really struggle with, they give their autonomy away. They're looking to other people for assurance. Even in the description that you, uh, that you wrote to me about mapping your Enneagram story and your synopsis of some of your memories, you talked about to defend and be loyal. Like that was one of the Mm -hmm. phrases that you used and you had this sense of like, this good thing has been done for me. How could I not stand up for and defend the people, you know, and God himself that has done this for me. So, so a lot of loyalty. Um, and the message that, the, the, the desire that they really want is they want to be secure. I just really want to feel secure. I'm tired of feeling insecure. I don't like the instability that I feel. I don't like the anxiety that I really want to feel secure. The message they're longing to hear is you're safe in my care. And they need to hear that from God, but they also want to hear that from the people around them. Okay, so it's a great case you make for the six. (laughs) I I know, I know. He has a ton, a ton of of six, um, which is, um, which like my wife's a six. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a wonderful, like, they're such faithful people, Mm -hmm. and he is very faithful, dedicated, Mm -hmm. reliable. Yeah, he's got a ton of those great covenant Mm -hmm. qualities about him, but it was not my pick for number one. Okay. Here is my proposal to him for what I think his core type is. So my contender for the most likely is type one. Type one is the reformer. Um, So here's some of the words I heard you use. Use the word truth, right, convicted, repented, good, avoid guilt, uh, metric, held to, supposed to, fall short, theologically, steward or else, <laughs> responsible. Like those are all very moral. You, yeah. you, like you hear the theme, like can you hear like the theme of moral, yeah. like goodness? Um, For sure. And so, you know, these folks are, they care about, you know, righting the wrongs of the world, man. They want to, they, they see the brokenness and they want God's kingdom come. They, they want to do mm-hmm. something about everything that's broken. But the biggest place they see the brokenness of the world is inside themselves. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's intolerable. It can be very, very hard. They tend to have a, an inner critic that's pretty harsh with them. Sometimes it can, the voice can be loud. Sometimes it can be quiet. That voice often likes to quote scripture, but it doesn't sound like Jesus. And so it's, mm-hmm. it commandeers the words of Jesus, but it, it speaks like an abuser. Um, but it's, hmm. it's, it's done in such a way that the one often doesn't even recognize it. And, um, their childhood theme is conditional love and criticism. They felt very mm-hmm. criticized in the world that they lived in. And they felt like if I don't get this right, the hammer's going to come down on me very hard. 
the unconscious childhood message they heard was that it's not okay to be wrong or to make mistakes. Mm. I expect different. I expect better. You should be better. You shouldn't act that way. You know it. How could you do that? It can be a very punitive culture where um, there's a lot of uh, consequences for for bad choices. The thing that they Mm -hmm. want is they want to have integrity. It's pretty Mm. simple. I want my yes to be yes and my no to be no. Mm. I want who I am in public and who I am in private to be the same person. And then uh, the message that they long to hear is you are good. You're good. You're good just as you are. Jesus has has made you good just as you are. You don't have to prove it. You don't have to go out and do jump through the hoops. It's a done deal. Like almost a sense of like they have an inner child inside of them, a little boy, and that little boy just really wants someone to look at him and go, you know what? You're a good kid. And, mm-hmm. and to really just sort of take that down and into the depths of their being. So those are kind of my, my three pitches. Which, which one kind of resonates? Man, I, I would say all three, but I, if, I had to, um, if I had to choose, uh, it's probably, probably a, a one sprinkled with like uh, a heavy seasoning of six. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. Yeah. Um, because the 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 right and the wrong, especially with a more of a reformed tradition uh-huh. uh, mindset, yeah, it's it's definitely like um, the the my sin and and what that means to God, who is holy and righteous, um, and then what those implications are as far as living out mm-hmm. um, the the grace and the mercy that you've been given. So. I would probably say if if I had to put a put a stamp on it, it's uh probably an even dose of one in mm-hmm. one in six. Okay, so what do you think? That was awesome. I still think it could be either way. So I can also tell you that on his <laughs> web scores, okay, that the six and the one were both the highest, mm. and they were nearly indistinguishable. Oh my gosh. In terms of which one. I'm really thankful for his willingness to be so open. Yeah, he was really vulnerable. Really vulnerable to share his story. So thank you, Vincent, if you're listening. And I do think he has more journey ahead of him. I think the Enneagram is like an onion. And I think we are kind of like onions. I always say we're just peeling the onion. And Mm -hmm. people who take my classes probably get tired of me saying that Mm because I'm like still peeling the onion. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it took me like nine months to really settle between my top two or three. Yeah. And it was like this six months, I thought I was for sure that. And then I slowly landed mm-hmm. just watching myself, listening to what was going on inside of myself. So I think he does have that. But it was really encouraging to see him hearing what you said about the one and really identifying some of that going on within himself. So let me just say this. I also, even months after mm-hmm. this conversation took place, went back and forth on one or six, yeah. one or six. Yeah. What I do think is true is he has a lot of one and yes. he has a lot of six, but one of those is going to end up ultimately coming to settle. Now, I, in this conversation, was like, I think the one. Mm-hmm. And he himself chose the one. Yeah. He most identified at that moment with it. So the question is, like, what do we do with all this? Yeah. You know, and the point isn't to say to Vincent, like, well, you're just a one. So now you can just, like, tell all your friends. You said this mm-hmm. already, like, it's a journey. Yeah. You know, it's something that, we're all kind of working through and we want the Enneagram to be a helpful tool in our relationships. Yes. So my encouragement to him was simply like, try it on. 
Like, yeah. treat it like you're taking the car off the lot for mm-hmm. a while and you're just going to try this out and see, like, does this fit me? Uh, and as part of that, actually gave him a little bit of homework. Oh, yeah. Here's my counsel. Let's just say you're going to test drive this one thing for a while and kind of see, does it feel right? Does it fit? You know, does this really mm-hmm. resonate with me? Um, there's two. I got two assignments for you, man. The first for one sure. is... Um, the first one is you can't read any books about Christian living for like six months. You can only read books about God's grace. So if you're going to read, that's doable. if you're going to read, it can't be a book that's going to tell you something else you need to go do. It can only be Hmm. a book that is literally about God's love and delight for you and his grace. Because, uh, I already know, dude, you don't need anybody else to tell you what to go do. You know, like, you know, mm-hmm. there's not a book out there that's going to be like, oh, I didn't have that on my list. Like, um, and so, uh, so that's number one. And then number two is, um, you know, literally like tonight, go talk to your wife. Like what, what do you do to relax and what do you do for fun? And you may not be able to answer that question real well off the top of your head. Maybe you mm-hmm. can, but literally make a list and hang it in your place and keep it around. And uh, and then your assignment is go work on just having fun. Interesting. You know, it, it is interesting because that's recently come up in a conversation. And, um, yeah, I, w- I would definitely say that is not something that I know how to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. To relax and just be chill. Just needing to work out some, not even necessarily anything moral or like I'm convicted by a sin or anything like that. Yeah. It's just not being so um unfamiliar with it sure. that the idea of doing it is just like nah i'm fine i'm just gonna go to work yeah. kind of thing yeah. um because it's it's just kind of kind of um ambiguous yeah. too ambiguous to put any shape around yeah. so yeah I, I i definitely can resonate with that yeah so i think man the, my encouragement is this you know is i would say test drive this for a while six months or a year just kind of go like do a little reading around the type one and, and the Enneagram books that are out there, listen to some podcasts. But then as part of that, I just want to encourage you, like I love ones. Ones are like almost always my favorite interview that we do on the Enneacast. Mm-hmm. I really resonate with ones. I've got a lot of one myself, mm-hmm. especially in a time that like everything is morally ambiguous. Like I really appreciate that ones are like, there's truth, there's truth in there's lies. Right. And like in this last year where uh, the, this new wave of civil rights has kind of reached a new peak. Like I really appreciate mm-hmm. that ones have been a force for that. Like saying, Hey, there are some things going on in society we really need to address. Um, mm-hmm. so there's, there's just good, good stuff there. My hope for you is, uh, you know, over this next year that maybe it could be a, a space where it's like, Hey, I just want to experience the joy of the Lord, the joy that God has for me. And part of that means I can be kind of kid like, you know, I can goof off sure. and be silly and, you know, be like a child. Mm. So that's kind of my assignment, man. My encouragement is read a bunch of books about grace and go have fun. Boom. What do you think? I got it written down. Hey, you know, I'm not going to lie. The first one's probably going to be mad easy to do. Uh-huh. The second one is where the challenge yeah. is going to come in. Yeah. Um, but hey, you know, it's one of those things where it's actually a recent, recent kind of revelation of mine 
uh, about God's grace um, because I, I caught myself worrying a lot, especially now that I'm having some transition periods in my life, mm-hmm. uh, moving to another city and, you know, going to another job and all that kind of stuff. And um, came back to my mind, like, I'm worried, but God's grace is what saved me mm-hmm. and it wasn't my works. Mm-hmm. If my works don't save me, my works aren't the thing that keep me saved. That's right. It's still God's grace. Yeah, that's right. So I'm very appreciative of your time and and, and coming on. And I, I'm a little less skeptical now. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think the Lord was doing some work on there, yeah. on the front end already. And if if nothing else, this is just a, a, a confirmation of, of, I think, what God is getting started in this next kind of chapter of my life. Yeah, so good, I appreciate man. it, man. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we talked. Thanks. Thanks for being vulnerable. I really do appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate you, man. Man, that was great. You told him, have fun. And then there's the long pause. (laughs) And he says, interesting. (laughs) I know. Vincent, that is exactly how I responded when the counselor told me to have fun. Uh I was like, in the middle of the day, like on a work day, do something fun. He was like, watch a movie. I was like, okay, I'll watch a movie while I do laundry. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay, now that we've had this whole conversation, I want to ask you one last question before we go. Okay. Which is when you are going through a typing process with Mm -hmm. somebody, what are some of the things that you approach similar to how I did? And what are some things that maybe you would have done differently? Like, help me learn how I could do this better in the future. Yeah, I mean, I thought you did such a good job. I liked how you started with kind of the emotional undercurrents of each triad. I typically, um, the way I was taught in the narrative tradition was there's like a certain order that they do is like three, six, something, something, you know, and it goes through at random. So if they are familiar with the Enneagram, it's harder for them to catch on. You're kind of trying to disorient them on yes. purpose. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to know where I am so that you're not trying to feed me the words. Because you know, some people do. They think they're a three. Yeah. They really want to be a three, but they're really a one, yeah, yeah. you know, right. or a six or something else. And so... And then, like you said about circling the wagons, like I do that too. As I start to narrow it down, like some people, I will skip the eight altogether because halfway through the interview, I'm pretty sure if you are or aren't. Like if you're leaning that way or not is really obvious to me. Just the energy you're giving me is usually I pick up on that. So I might skip that section altogether Mm -hmm. and then hone in. So if I had been interviewing him and I had this one inclination, I would have been asking him about anger. Like, were there other times where you lashed out in anger and how do you feel about anger in general to see if I could sense more of that moral should have, could have, but that intensity that ones can have. Yeah. And then same with the five, because I just had a big question mark. I didn't have yeses or nos. So I would Mm -hmm. have asked him more about his mind castle. You know, does he go down those rabbit trails? Is he very introverted? You know, how does he feel socially? You know, does he feel very socially competent or not? So I would have just done a little bit more digging if I had blank spots. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, I think we approach it very similar. Yeah. And I love that we ended up with the same top three. Yeah. And here's what is impressive, Lindsay, is uh, I ended up with those top three and I did have the webs in front of me. I had scores. You ended up there purely by listening. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. So so good. Good job. Yeah. It's off to you. Yeah. Oh, thanks. And it's good. Like what you said, I think we agreed. Like. I'm more anti-test. You're more protest. Yeah. 
but in the end, it can be a useful tool. It showed you, me where to fish yes. and where to be curious. Yes. And for him to know, yeah. try these on. And if that doesn't fit, well, where do you look next? Yeah. Well, your scores might help you. So, yeah, I just want to reiterate that, that the test can be really helpful when used with self-discovery mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, let me give this disclaimer to our listeners. If you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I'm going to go do a typing session with somebody. No. <laughs> uh, we just want to encourage you, don't. You want to go through some training. Yes. You you know, just because you've listened to this podcast, you know, that does not qualify. The Enneagram is about self-discovery mm-hmm. and it's about leading people to a place of discovery. Yes. And so revelation is always more transformative than declaration. Mm-hmm. So if I tell somebody they're a certain thing versus they kind of, figure it out for themselves Mm -hmm. you know one of those is going to be more powerful than the other well okay so that's it we have typed vincent or (laughs) attempts to help him figure out his type so vincent we really appreciate you man thank you so much for joining us Mm -hmm. and uh for having me as a guest on the substance we hope it was helpful if you benefited at all from this podcast please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to Vincent Edwards and the rest of the Substance podcast team, Trevor Aiken and Philip Marinello. You can find The Substance on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. You can serve for a summer or a year and grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was edited by Rachel Zabo, Lindsay Lewis, and myself. Rachel is also our media director and producer. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Community.